Hello and welcome to LifeSpring number 204. It's so good to have you with me today. My name is Steve Webb. Thank you for being there. Yes, it's been a while, but let's not dwell on that. You know, back on November 13th, we passed the six-year anniversary of the first episode of LifeSpring. It's been a pretty sparse year for episodes, but we're still here and committed to doing what I used to say way back in the beginning, and that is hitting you right between the ears with a message of hope, love, and good news. So what is LifeSpring? Well, I like to answer that question with this. Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your sex, or your station in life. Jesus asks you this, who do you say that I am? LifeSpring is about answering that question and the question of how and why the answer can and does affect your life today. What will you find here? Well, you'll find music, you'll find conversation, and you'll find reasons to believe. And on today's show, we're going to start with conversation. I've got a very special guest today, and the story you're about to hear will probably have you on the edge of your seat. It's a story of innocence lost. It's a story of betrayal and violence. But even more than that, it is a story of God's love and His healing, redemptive power. Now, when I first heard this story, I knew that I had to introduce you to this incredible woman whose name is Ellie Collins. Before I play my interview with Ellie, I'd like to tell you that we recorded this in her home on a very stormy night here in Southern California. They say it never rains in Southern California. I don't believe them. You're going to hear the rain falling just outside the window, and you'll even hear the wind blow. Just know her house did not blow down, and the rains were kept safely outside, and all is well. And now, without further delay, let's listen to part one of my interview with Ellie Collins. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us. I have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Ellie Collins, and uh, she has an amazing story of redemption and hope and forgiveness that you're not going to believe. When I first became aware of Ellie's story, I was, uh, I was just blown away, just taken aback. And so I thought that her story is so important that you need to hear it. And so with no further ado, Ellie, I want to thank you to LifeSpring. And um, I want you to just share your story. Okay. It's a pleasure to do that. Okay. <laughs> so um, where are you from? I'm from Honduras. Okay. And uh, um, I came here. Into this country in 1978, November of 1978 to be exact. And uh, um, after a series of events that happened in Honduras, I felt the need to leave that country because things were not go going good for me. Right. So let's, okay. let's well, go ahead. What? You can ask me questions. Okay, I'll ask you questions. So, um, what kind of a what kind of an environment were you born into? In Honduras? Um, it was a very poor and, and very uh, lonely environment where I grew up. I grew up uh, in a very small village in Honduras. I lived with my grandmother since I was uh, born, and I didn't get to meet my mom till I was 11 years old. And uh, so I grew up with my, uh, sis my older sister and two other cousins of mine. And so um, I went to live with my mom when I was 11 years old. But prior to that, 
And the situation with my grandmother was um, very hard because we lived in a, in a small village where um, there was no electricity or water, so we had to carry water, drinking water from about an hour away from where we lived. So it was hard. Um, and uh, we ate what, you know, what was available during that time, but um, it, was, it was really hard uh, growing up that way. Um, I didn't get to go to school. There was um, this place uh, where we live was really um, small. Nobody really owned a car or anything. Everybody would walk to do whatever they needed to do and or a horse. But once in a while, we would see a bus go by, and we were always wondering where they were going. Or mm. And so um, when I finally got to go and, and uh, my mom came to get me from my grandmother uh, and got to live with got to go to live with my mom, um, I felt like it was a, a brand new world for me because before you go on though, yeah. talk a little bit about what it was like to live with your grandmother. Was she we in America think of our grandmas, you know, as being this this very supportive and and, and loving and kind of a uh, an Aunt B type mm-hmm. person, yeah. if you remember from the old Andy Griffith show, right. uh, somebody that you know cooks pies every day and uh, just as sweet and everything else. Mm-hmm. Talk about what it was like growing up with your, your grandma. No, we we had a sergeant type of grandmother. A sergeant. <laughs> yes, who expected uh, um, for everything to just be perfect and right, and and uh, even though we were very poor, she demanded a lot from us, and when things didn't get done done we will get um beatings and and verbally abusive um her f- famous word to us was um we were gonna uh, be good for nothing and we were gonna end up in the streets because nobody was gonna be able to respect or or acknowledge us because we were we were nobody mm. because we didn't know how to do anything and and we hear we heard those words over and over every day and um the physical abuse. Uh, my my older sister was the one that was receiving most most of the physical abuse because I was kind of shy and quiet. So when I would see her angry, she would come home from uh, somewhere. I would just hide or hid behind a door and start praying sometimes because um, I knew that that she was going to come back and be angry for some reason, mm. one way or another. So. So it was better to stay out of the way. Stay out of the way, yeah. yeah. There is a book that has been written about you called Crossing Over, and in the book it talks about whipping that would take place. Yes. And so your grandmother was uh, a strict disciplinarian. Yeah, I, I remember that her uh, she used to keep a rope on a, in a bucket of water and uh, because if it got wet, it would hurt oh. more. Wow. And so you would not want to get a whip out of that. Thing. Yeah. If it hits you, it will it will leave a uh, scar on your on your arm or whatever it hits you. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would chase you around the house with this thing mm-hmm. until she got her, you know, her anger out. Right. Completely. So, how long did you live with her? Till I was eleven. Eleven. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what happened? And then I, I my mom came one day and she had gotten remarried and uh, she took us to, took me to live with her. My my sister stayed with my grandmother. And so I went to live with my mom. And I had a, a stepdad. Now that um, I thought 
you know, it was the greatest thing that happened at that time that now I could have a family and I thought things were going to change for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, they went another direction. They did change, but they yes. didn't change for the better. Not for the better. Right. So what happened? What happened, I, um, after three years of being with my mom and she put me to school and tried to teach me how to behave like, you know, because when I was with my grandmother, I didn't even know how to, you know, wear shoes because we didn't have, I had one pair of shoes, I think I remember, only when I was with her because we walked barefoot everywhere. But um, so my mom was trying to civilize me and teach me things. And during those three years, everything was good. But um, things started changing once she, uh, she started having children and she, uh, she had one after another. From the time I moved in with her up till the age of 15, I think she had already had four, four children. Wow. So, so almost one a year. Yeah. Right. And um, I was the, the caretaker of those kids because uh, she had to go to work and so did my stepdad. And so um, things were really rough for me because I was trying to concentrate in school and yet take care of these kids. And it was really hard. Mm-hmm. So you were responsible for their upbringing, their their all their total care. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. And on on top of the the being the adult trying to take care of these kids, there was other stuff that was happening there, and there was some abuse um, by my stepdad. Mm-hmm. And and at, at that time, also he had asked uh, her his oldest son to come to live with us. He had an old, uh, a son, and so I had a stepbrother. But um, it was it was really hard because I was trying to be a, a sister to these kids and and a helper to my mom. But there was some abuse happening with my brother, my stepbrother, and my stepdad as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was really. Uh, emotionally stressful for me at that time. And trying to build that relationship with my mom, it was really hard. Right. But mm-hmm. it was more than, I mean, it wasn't just, uh, I mean, there were levels of abuse, but in, in your case, they were raping you. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so you said it was stressful. I would think stress is a, is a light way to say yes. it. Yes. I mean, you, were, you had gone through abuse with your grandmother, mm-hmm. physical beatings, and then you come into this home where you thought that it was going to be, you know, now finally I'm going to be rescued. Mm-hmm. And it was like going from the frying pan to the fire. Right. And this went on for how long? Um, till I was, uh, all the way up till I was almost 16, because by then my mother had decided that um, there were some things that happened. I, at one point I, w- I decided to go look for my, my, my elder sister. And my grandmother, and there were some things that happened there with, uh, with um, when I showed up to go see my my sister, my uh, I found out that my grandmother had found a letter from one of the boys' friends of my sister, and, and thought it was a boyfriend of hers. And that was the day that my grandmother confronted my sister. Anyway, when I walked in the house, I heard screams and everything, and my grandmother had a tied a rope around my sister's neck and was dragging her around the house. Mm. And I could hear my sister yelling and screaming. So I did what I used to do when we were little. I jumped on top of her trying to um, 
rescue her. And uh, so I thought it was not a good idea for me to go back to live with my grandmother because, you know, I did not want to be in that situation. Right. So I went back to my mom, and uh, um, my mom decided, I think it had decided that it was best for me to, to, for her to arrange a marriage for me at that time. So she did arrange a marriage, and I was um, married at the age of 16 right. to a man much older than I was. Now, did you know this man before? I would see him once in a while. He would come to the house, and he was more friends with my mom. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know what this, the relation was, but yeah, he okay. came around. Now, you're shaking. Are you okay? Yeah, I just get emotional. Okay, all right. <laughs> when I talk about this. Is this okay? I mean, yeah, it's okay. All right. All yeah. Right. So you had this arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. You're 16 years old, and he's 30-some. 28. 28, okay. So, I mean, you had no say in this. No say. Um, she's just, a lot of, uh, in, in those days, a lot of the girls were running away, and she was afraid that I was going to be one of those girls and I was going to end up being pregnant, and that was her thing. Uh, when I told her about the abuse with my stepdad, um, first of all, I, I saw the change in us, in our relationship. It brought us more distant than ever before. And so... Um, she thought I was going to end up running away and I was going to end up getting pregnant or something, and she thought that this was going to be the best thing for mm-hmm. for us to do. So you had gone to her and told her what was happening with your stepdad, her husband, and your stepbrother, thinking that she was would put a stop to it. Yeah. But she denied it. She, she thought I was making things up because I didn't like my stepdad. Mm-hmm. And that was not the truth. I, I was trying, really, to have a relationship with him mm-hmm. because I never met my dad. Right. I didn't know who my dad was. You wanted him to be your daddy. I wanted him to be my dad. Right. And, uh, um, and, try, and he, she would push me to call him, you know, dad. And I tried, but because of what was happening, mm-hmm. it was not from the heart. And it was just this uncomfortable yeah. thing with him. Right. So... If she had have confronted him with what was going on, then she ran the risk of him getting mad and, and leaving her as well. Yeah. And so she wanted to protect that relationship because she had been saved from a bad situation. Right, right. Okay, so this arranged marriage takes place, and then what happened? Once we signed papers and everything, um, we were married and demanding for me to perform you know, as a wife, mm-hmm. which I didn't know. I was not in love with him. Mm-hmm. So um started getting very physically violent with me, and uh, um, I was raped, you know, on our first night. And that would happen every time that he wanted to be intimate with me mm-hmm. because um, I couldn't get close. To, I didn't love him. Mm-hmm. So every time he would touch me, it was... It was uncomfortable for me, and it was, I would fight him off. Mm-hmm. So this, that's when the beating came up, and then, you know, um, a lot of physical and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, there were days that he would leave me tied up in, in, in this little house where we lived, and uh, I would scream, and, and it seems like nobody did care about what was happening. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I wanted to run away, and I did try to run away. In fact, I went to talk to my, my mom one day. I, I got away one night, and I I told her that, you know, what he was doing to me. And, and she said, you got to stay with him. He's your husband. Mm-hmm. And things will change. Just hang on there. And, and I said, I can't do this. So he found out and went to get me back from my mom's house. And that, that was the worst beating I ever got. And uh, so scared. I, w- I was always in fear. And uh, I think it was uh, five or six months I was married to him. And uh, there were not days, you know, that I, I didn't want to run away. Mm-hmm. I want to get away from it. I felt I was trapped. And every time I would say I want, I, I want to get away, he would threaten me and said that he would kill me if I did. So I was afraid. Mm-hmm. And... Um, one time, uh, the last time, the last beating I, I got, um, I tried to escape, and he found me, brought me back into the house, was the worst beating I ever got, tied me up, sodomized me, and left me there bleeding. Uh, I thought I was going to die. And uh, um, I had a, a relative of mine that came looking for me because she hasn't seen me in a while, and, and I explained to her, to one of the windows that what was happening and she um, got me out of the house. Yeah, she saw you from outside. Yeah. Yeah, she looked like looked through a crack in the... In yeah. Okay. And so she could see I was hurting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I told her that, you know, I was tied up to, you know. And so she broke in the house and uh, she, uh, I escaped with mm-hmm. her. And where did you go? To the city. This was about uh, maybe about an hour a half away from the city. What city? Uh, it was it's San Pedro. Okay. And we were in a little town. It was called, it was like a banana little country, mm-hmm. little town that we lived in. And uh, because my stepdad used to work for the banana company. And uh, we just ran. We ran. We didn't take a bus or anything. We just ran. We just, we, she just wanted to help me get away. Mm-hmm. And so um, we we went to San Pedro and we we found a friend of hers where she left me there. That's where it takes me to where I went into the streets and and things started just getting worse at that time. Mm-hmm. So she took you to the city, mm-hmm. left you with a friend. Yeah. And she had to go back home. Right. And so what did you do at that point? Well, I stayed with the with the with her friend, but I wanted to. Um, I still didn't, I was not ready to, you know, I wanted to go back to my grandmother and see if I could get help from her. Mm. And so what happened is that her, um, this friend of my um, cousin's, um, her husband offered to take me to my grandmother, and I thought, great, you know, this is going to be good. He's going to take me there, and maybe I'll be safe, and, and my grandmother will protect me. Now. I have to stop here because I know my listeners are saying, why in the world would you want to go back to your grandmother after having had that childhood that you did? Yeah, I still loved her. You still loved her? Yeah. Why do you suppose that is? Is it that you just held that hope that that you would get love from her? Yeah. She she was what I know, the first person I I bond with as a little girl. And... uh, even though as mean as she was, 
I knew that that you know she cared for me somehow. Mm. Okay. Because uh, she could have just given me away, you know. Other families did that. Yeah. In fact, I was left somewhere when I was about three years old, and she rescued me, really? got me, brought me back to live with her. So I remember that that incident as little as I was. I remember that stayed in my mind, mm-hmm. and so I thought, I know I I can go to her, and and she will take care of me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so these men offered to take me back to her, and uh, on the way there, it, it was not the way where my grandmother lived and where I told him to go. And uh, it turned out to be that he had other plans in his, in his mind. And on the way there, he put an, a knife to my neck and uh, um, got me out of his car and threw me in some bushes and raped me. And... Uh, uh, so it was kind of almost like halfway from where my grandmother lived, so I was able to still walk back to my grandmother's house. But So he raped you and then left you? Yeah. Okay. Just that left you in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, I was really scared. I couldn't fight him. I just felt like I always asked myself, why, why did that happen? And... And here was somebody, this human being that I trusted and, mm-hmm. you know, did this to me. And so um, I did try to go to my, back to my grandmother and uh, didn't tell her what had happened. But I, felt, I didn't feel safe because I knew my, maybe my, ex, my husband would find me there. Mm-hmm. And so I left. I went back into the city again, and I ended up in the streets. And uh, that's where I met uh, a lady that uh, took me in and, and clothed me and fed me and took care of me. And I thought she was the best right. thing that ever happened to How me. How long were you on the streets before this woman came along? Uh, for a few weeks. Okay. Yeah. So, so you were just fending for yourself. Yeah. Okay. Trying to find survival. Right. Okay. So this woman comes along and you think that she is going to save you. Do I remember you, that you were sick at the time when she found you? or that? Yeah, because of all the, the abuse mm-hmm. from my ex-husband. Right. My ex-husband. I keep right. yeah. not my ex-husband, your, but my was, husband. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so you were still beat up. You were still I healing still from beat the up. I still, yes. So how did this woman find you? It was just one of those things. I think I, she walked out of a store, and I was standing outside, and she asked me, what was I doing there? And I told her I have no place to go. And um, she offered me a place to live, and and she said I have a house and you can stay with me and I'll take care of you. And uh, I, at that age, I used to get a lot of um, asthma attacks and and I used to get sick a lot. So obviously, she thought I, you know she needed to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And you're 16, right, at this time? Yes. Okay. I'm, I was just turning 16 at that time. Okay. Yeah. And so um, it turned out to be that um, she took me to her place and took care of me and everything. And and it started with me just waiting on tables and everything. And, and it turned out to be that uh, she had a, another part of her business. It turned out she had a business, and uh, it was a brothel. Mm-hmm. 
On the one side, there was the restaurant. Mm -hmm. That's where she brought you in yeah. to clean tables and whatever. Yeah, and wait on tables, okay. yeah. And, and she uh, sort of nursed you back to health. Right. She got clothes for you, taught you how to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you waited tables and you thought everything is great. Right. Okay. And, this, and how long did that phase it's just a few months. Okay. Just a few months. And she bought me clothes and, you know, she would take me shopping with her and and uh, ask me if I needed to go, go to a doctor. She would take me there. She would give me money and feed me and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I was feeling, you know, like I found out what the place actually was, mm -hmm. I I asked her, you know, if I could leave. And, and she um, gave me a balance of what I owe her, what she's done for me, and that I could not leave until I finished paying her. So once again, Ellie is betrayed. At 16 years old, she finds herself in the clutches of yet another person who is intent on using her. Be sure to listen for the next episode when we find out how this woman expects Ellie to settle the debt that she unwittingly accrued by accepting the care offered by this not-so-kind woman. It's a tale of cruelty, slavery, violence, and yes, even hope. This is Third Day's Mac Powell and the Daraja Children's Choir of Africa with A Song of Hope. The title is Mighty to Save. Come
Before I go, I'd like to share a few words of encouragement with you. This is from a blog I ran across not too long ago, and even though it's not a Christian message, I think you'll be challenged and encouraged. The blog is Think Traffic, and the author is Corbett. It's called, Sometimes You Just Need to Make Progress. I've learned something from watching people start new projects over the years. There are standards and there are ideals. There are perfect examples and sweet spots that we'd all like to be in. It's great to aim high. You should strive to do something extraordinary. But sometimes you can't rush these things. Sometimes you just need to make progress. Sometimes you just need to put one foot in front of the other and have faith that you're moving in the right direction. Sometimes you have to acknowledge your first outing won't be perfect and that it's okay. It's far better to make some progress towards your goal than to become paralyzed worrying about nailing it the first time. It's worse yet to self-destruct when everything doesn't come together right away. So give it your best shot for a while. Learn the best practices, observe the best in your field, and spend some quality time plotting your next move. Aim high and try to get everything right. You'll always come out ahead if you set ambitious goals for yourself and take some time to plan. But don't make perfection your ultimate goal. Make your goal to be your best self and commit to improving little by little each day. Be proud of the work you've done to prepare for your journey. Then pack up and actually start the journey because it's time to make some progress. And then to finish this thought, I would like to add Philippians 1 verses 3 through 6 where it says, 
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, and this is the key, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. Your comments, of course, are welcome at lifespringmedia.com or at the iTunes store. Just search for The Lifespring Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Steve Webb. Of course, you can email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com anytime you want. Lifespring is brought to you by me at theguywithafriendlyvoice.com. I'm a full-time voiceover guy who does radio and TV commercials, corporate videos, audiobooks, and pretty much anything you can think of that needs a voice. If you, your business, church, or organization would like to know more, email me at studio at theguywithafriendlyvoice.com. Part of the music today was Mac Powell and the Daraja Children's Choir of Africa singing Mighty to Save. If you'd like to read the incredible story of Ellie Collins, you can buy the book at restoringhearts.net. Now, until next time, when I'll have part two of my conversation with Ellie Collins, may God bless you richly. I'm Steve Webb.